0: This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. If you will with me this morning, turn to the book of... 1 Chronicles chapter 13, we're going to do actually two, two scriptures this morning uh, that we're going to go to. 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and then Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, put your ribbon in one of those and actually rest in, let's rest in the 1 Chronicles. So, what I am teaching on this morning is the importance of being one in the next move of God. The importance of having oneness. Being one in the next move of God. We all know, we've been talking about God moving. What to expect when God moves? What is our responsibility when God moves? And now we're going to go into the importance of being one in the next move of God. So one thing I want you guys to understand this morning is as believers we have one thing in common. One thing that unifies us all. And that is we are all followers of Christ. We submit to the disciplines of Christ. We submit to the word of God. And so what I'm going to, I'm going to go through this process this morning. I want to talk about oneness and unity. I'm going to give us a definition of that so we can understand what it is. And then we'll be able to see the importance of being that in the next move of God. So unity, this is the definition straight out of the dictionary. And it's it's spot on too, but I'm going to tell you unity. It's the quality or state of not being multiple. Oneness. It was that simple. That's what it said in there. The quality or state of not being multiple or oneness. Now, I I love how it says it's the quality of state of not being multiple because if we're unified through Christ, then we don't have multiple answers to the trials of life. There's only one answer. This goes back to what I was saying on, on Wednesday nights when we had spiritual warfare. Listen, we have to renew our minds, and if we're all not renewing our minds with the same curriculum, there's going to be multiple answers. So there's only one answer, no multiple answers. So our unity and our, our oneness is defined by the fellowship we have around Christ and His disciplines. Jesus is the only answer, and through Jesus we are of God's kind and God's quality, filled with the Spirit, so that we may yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So what we need to understand is when God moves, He has a specific order of worship for the body, so that Christ can be seen. I, I, and this is going to flow right on with family life. I hope. See, that's the thing about. Being one, make sure you get here on Family Life. Just, that's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not going to stay there. Just make sure you get here for, for Family Life. But there's a specific order of worship. There's a, there's a specific arrangement of worship. See, there's a worldly arrangement. We were talking about that in Family Life. But God has his specific order or arrangement of worship that we should have. And that is oneness. And we're going to talk about that today. His specific order and arrangement for us to operate and worship Him is oneness. Write that down. That's God's specific order. His specific arrangement to worship Him is oneness. And since we're talking about the importance of being one in the move of God, I also want you to note that when He moves... And, and, and we're operating in that oneness, it's always about service to Him and to others. Never about service to yourself. Always about service to Him and to others. Make sure you write that down as well. When He, when God moves, note that it's always about service to Him and service to others. So, it, it, it becomes real important that we should just stop focusing on the me, myself, and I type things. So much, you know, because... If we're doing our part, we're edifying each other. That, that, listen, this is what I mean. If, if, if this person over here is doing their part, then they have what you need. See, God has still thought about you. You just focus on doing, serving, serving Him and others. Because He has somebody that's going to be serving for you too. Just focus on doing your part. Okay? That's, that's how we see His love. That's His grace right there remember a power that you don't have to do well I have somebody else that can do it for you the grace is in them too that's his love remember that so to be one we must have one mind and like I said earlier in order to have one mind we have to make sure we're renewing our mind with the same thing not with, not with the ideas of this world not with the, not with the arrangements of this world we got to be renewing our mind with the exact same thing and I've told you this before I call it the single eye having the judgment of Christ having his views his ways this is also called and this is what I'm about to tell you here this is key in oneness this is also called submission very key submission to God's ways and his order yielding to his established line of authority and it sounds like such a simple thing right? sounds real easy but it's the lack of submission to God's order of worship that's blocking us from oneness. That's what it is. As a matter of fact, it's killing the church. Are we in First Chronicles 13? All right, I'm going to read verse 1 through 14, and I don't want you to really get hung up on this passage. There's a few things that I want you to, to, to take note of in this passage, and I'll tell you, but I'm going to read it here right now. First Chronicles 13, and I'm reading verse 1 through 14. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good, good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto the brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, with them also the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, and that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. So I'm going to stop right there. He said, "Let us bring the ark of our God to us." And the reason I'm stopping right here is because I want, you, I want to explain something to you. There was a specific order that God gave them to, to move this ark. There's a specific order of worship. Here we go. Was that verse four? And all the congregation, all the congregation said that they would do, they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt even unto the, the entering of Hemeth to bring the ark of God from kirjath, kirjath ja, And David went up and all Israel to Bala, that is, to that same place which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of, of God, the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart. Out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah, and Ahio dra- drave the cart. So I'm going to stop right there. And if you don't know about the Ark of Co- the, the Ark of the Covenant, it's not supposed to be drawn by calves by oxen. That's not the order of worship God told them. Right? It's supposed to be carried by staves, with staves by the priest. That's what God ordained, and that requires obedience. Okay, so here we go. Verse eight. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with the psalteries and with the timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor, all of chidden Uzzah put forth, I'm sorry, threshing floor of Chittin Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. Now, now see, you see what happened. I, I, I told you to do a, a specific arrangement, but you have these oxen carried and the oxen stumbled. So here is King Uzzah. He put out his hand to catch because look like the ark was about to fall. He put out his hands to catch the ark, right? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hands to the ark, and therefore he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God of God that day, saying, "How shall I bring the ark of God home home to me?" And I'm actually going to stop there. So. Like I said, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried on staves by the priests. Now, they decided, I'm going to do my own order. I'm going, to make my own, I'm going to do what I want to do, my own order of worship. We're going to carry it away, separate from what God says. See, don't ever ignore what God says. He's giving you, some, he's giving you an instructions for a reason. And if you ignore what he says, I, I'm sorry, that's disobedience. And disobedience, I'm sorry, that's sin. Okay? So that, let's get that in our mind. That's what's happening here. They disobeyed the order of God and his order of worship, right? King Uza, Uza tried to steady the ark and what happened? He died. See, the wrong order of worship or the lack of oneness in our church is killing it. It's killing the church. Just like it happened to Uza. If you don't obey the order of worship that God has set forth, which is oneness, didn't we just say that? Then you're wondering, why why, why, why aren't there people in all the seats? Why isn't my message being believed that I'm preaching? You've got to stay in the order of worship. It's all about oneness. See, what men are establishing isn't what God has commanded. That's just what the world desires. But that's not what God commanded. He's, he's calling us out from the world. Remember from Family Life this morning? He's calling us out. There's something different for us. We're special people. We're chosen people. So with this idea of, of taking these things from the world that are, that are subtly easing in, what's, what's been happening to the church? I'm not just talking about churches and water. I'm talking about the, the church as a whole. See, the things that you see nowadays is the church has turned to like a fraternity, a clique, a gang. Methodist over here. Presbyterian over here. Kojic over here. It's like a gang, right? You see what I'm saying? Because those are man's things. Man, adu- listen... Man, are the only, th- only people that bring stuff in for division. That's it. God doesn't do that. Listen, we've been pre-qualified through Christ. There's no qualifications that are needed. It's men that bring in their divisions. Right? So it turns the church into fraternities, cliques, gangs. Man-centered church governments will leaders to stab each other in the back. Trying to get ahead. Instead of supporting each other. Instead of walking in oneness. Some people use it as opportunities for... Carnal, carnal business ventures. Their own agenda has nothing to do with oneness. Right there, it's your own agenda. That's for you. Taking advantage. Some people use this platform here as a stage to spiritual start-up. Right? Oh, I have a beautiful voice. Let me get on this stage. Oh, I can preach. I believe. Believe me, I can preach. Let me get up there. That's not oneness. Then there's those in the ministry in the church that don't have a desire to do the work of the ministry at all. Then there's those who think, well, the work of the ministry is only for those who are on staff at the church. Let me tell you, every single thing I just said, none of it's correct in God's eyes. All, of it, all that shows is a lack of oneness. Let's, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We should be there. Had your ribbon there. I'm just going to read the first six verses. So it says... I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. <laughs> worthy of the vocation. living a lifestyle that shows you have heard and responded to God. That's what walking worthy means, of that vocation, which ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. See, these, these are all characteristics of oneness. I want you to know that. Forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it says we have to endeavor, right? Because sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to keep the unity, right? It's, it's hard to always be one, but you've got to endeavor. You've got to continue to do what you know to do. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, in, the, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So what this is saying here? And I just want you to, just to note this quick. Our, our calling and our conduct should be in balance, not only to our salvation, but to our union in the body as well. You can write that down. Our calling and conduct should be in balance, not only to our salvation, but to our union in the body as well. See, the walk of the believer concerns both your personal life And your responsibility to the other believers in the church. Remember upward, inward, outward? And if you feel on any one of those three, you fail all together. So you have a responsibility not only to you and your home, but to your church as well, to the body. There's a responsibility there. And we have to put forth a concerted effort to keep that unity. Let's turn to... 2 Corinthians and I'm going to go to chapter 13 and I'm going to go ahead and start reading I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 we're going to, going to kind of split it up and explain some of these things um, throughout the message here but let me start here third, chapter 13 verse 1 this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established we will get back to that because that's pertinent too we will get back to that I told you before and I foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent now I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all others that if I come again I will not spare so l- let me give you a background this is, this is Paul writing a, a letter to the church of Corinth and he's saying right there in verse 1 listen I'm coming to you this is his third time he's coming to them like a daddy would Hey, this is my third time writing to you about this same issue. And if I have to come over there, if I have to come, there's going to be some, going to be some correction. So get it right yourself. So that's what he's saying. He said, this is the third. Throughout, the, throughout Corinthians, because this, this is the second book of Corinthians, but he sent two letters to them. He, he's been dealing with them about their sin and their lust and their desires. And he said, this is the third time I'm coming to you about this. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is all centered around their oneness. I'm going to tell you right now and the lack thereof that's what it's all about and we're going to get there and let me get back to verse 2 I'm going to read 2 again I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and been absent now I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again I will not spare since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me which to you to your word is not weak but is mighty in you Sorry. For though he was crucified through weakness Yet he liveth by the power of God For we also are weak in him But we shall live with him by the power of God Towards you Verse 5 Examine yourselves Whether ye be in the faith Prove your own selves Know ye not your own selves How that Jesus Christ is in you Except ye be reprobates And I love that right there So my question here is, how do we put forth an effort to keep the unity? And it says it clearly right there in verse in verse 5. It says, examine yourself. Test and see if you're in the faith. This, remember, we have to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? So this is what you have to examine. These are the questions you need to ask yourself. Who do I trust for my salvation? That's the first question you need to ask yourself. Number two, am I putting on Christ? Or do I make room for my fleshly lusts and my fleshly attitudes and my fleshly desires? Number three, is my life all about me? Because remember what we said. When God, He's moving for you to impact somebody else's life. Quit worrying about you. He got you covered. So is my life all about me and what I want? Or am I dead and my life I consider here with God in Christ? Number four. Do I do I desire to do His will, or do I have my own agenda? Have I made God's will my priority? And when I say priority, I mean I was just talking to Minister Hayson about this yesterday. Priority. Listen, we understand you have to have a job. I understand all. I understand you you want to get your education, all that. Because guess what? I have a job. I got my education. But we are talking about making God your priority, right? Because his grace is sufficient. He'll make it. Listen, he knows what you want. But he also knows what you need. Have you made him your priority so that you can get what you need? Have you chose Christ? And the last question, number five, very important. How's my love towards the brethren? Towards the body? Or in other words... How high do I set my Christian standard? Now, that question in itself, that goes against God's word anyway, because let me tell you, there's only one standard, the standard of Christ. So there's not a level that you should set it at. It's already been made. It's already been set. So that question was really a rhetorical one. If you answered that question, then you need to go do, you need to go examine yourself. Go examine yourself, which you should be doing anyway. Because we're endeavoring to keep the unity, and then I like how it said at the at the end of uh, verse uh, not verse seven, verse six. But I trust that you shall know that we that we we are not reprobates. So if these if these questions I asked you, if any of those you know were no, you know I don't desire His will, or oh how high do I set my standards? You need to ask yourself this question: Is the way I'm living reprobate? Yeah, that's, right. that's what you need to ask. So, let me tell you what reprobate is. Because it's all throughout the Bible. Let me tell you what reprobate is. Is the way I'm living unworthy? Is it unacceptable? Is it to be be rejected by God? Listen. Can God call me a friend? We just learned about that. See, the issue is today in the church, there's very little, like I said earlier, I said submission sounds so easy, but it's very little understanding of yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Very little. In society's view of freedom, the thought is, I can do what I want to do. I'm grown. And ain't nothing you can do about it. And people use that same mindset with God. Because it's clear today, He gives you clear instructions. And to go against what he's saying, that's what he's saying. Oh, I'm growing and I can do what I want to do. And a Christian with this attitude, they hear God's word as a suggestion, not a command. As a, oh, I can do this, but still be okay if I do it my way. God is trying to save you from something. But you know, and this is real prevalent with, younger adults especially coming straight out of high school because they always, they, they're always trying to be adults so quick. you know. Yeah. So they refuse, especially once I, as soon as I hit that 18, I refuse to allow anybody to tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, let me clear it up for you if that's in your mind. That is reprobate. Yeah. That's reprobate. Yeah. Unacceptable, unworthy, and to be rejected by God. Yeah. Yeah. What we have to understand about the Lord, Lordship of Jesus Christ is Christ is the head of the church, <laughs> and we submit to you and yield to His authority. And then, having submitted to Christ, it gives us the capabilities to submit and yield to one another. And that's why we—that's when we can walk in oneness. When we're able to submit and yield to one another, not looking at titles, not looking at who got the highest education, I'll submit and yield to them because I think they're smarter than me. No, no. What did I say? You've been pre-qualified by the blood of the Lamb. I don't need your worldly qualifications. Submitting and yielding to God and His design, His purpose, His orderly arrangement for our worship, which is oneness. Because our aim is perfection. Oh, what's perfection? Calm down. Perfection is spiritual growth spiritual maturity. Learning from those mistakes, taking that correction, learning from it, and never going back to that. I have the victory over that. And guess what? Because God showed me I have it for you. So that you don't have to go through it. It's just that simple. See, as a believer, we we must all realize that we all believe the same thing. We are all the same thing in Christ. A new creature. All of us. We all have the same things in common. We know by Christ we can all be one. But the question is, why does God desire us to be one? See, because in man's understanding, it would be easier if I didn't have to be one with you and I could just deal with God. It would be real easy, right? Instead of having to love who you really hate. I'd be just fine. Just me and God. And God deal with me and me alone. But what do we say? It's for somebody else. He has you in mind too. But just focus on what he has for you. And, you. and people think at that point, see, I have no problems with God if I don't have to deal with them. You think you don't have problems with God. First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For lovers of God, and everyone that loveth is, is born of God, and knoweth God, is a friend of God. <laughs> but he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Right? That is his word. Don't, don't take whatever you have in your mind. I don't have to love them. Listen, that's like King Uzzah. I can do what I want to. I have my own order of worship. And God's accepting it, so you think. So the question is then, Lord, why did you tie my relationship to you with everybody else? That's the question. Please tell me why. Because people have serious issues with that. Let me, the church, the so-called body, has serious issues with that. Concerned with themselves and themselves alone. If we would sincerely sit down and examine that question, why did God time our relationship with, to Him with you? If we would sincerely sit down and examine that question and get an understanding of God's word on the matter, we wouldn't see the division or separation in the church. We wouldn't see the gangs, the fraternities in the church. We wouldn't see that. The cold heartedness. We wouldn't see people manipulating for their own agendas. If we could understand why why, Christ, why God tied our love to Him to, to each other. Wouldn't be carelessness and unkindness toward one another. We wouldn't see the nonchalant and irreverent way that one could just pick up their family from the body that God called them to. With no regards to themselves. No regard to, if they have children, no regards to them. No regards to the body that they left behind. Because remember, if you're in the body, He's giving you something for somebody else. But you're leaving that body, right? You made that choice. You're using your own order of worship, right? Killing the church. So it's imperative that we explore extensively and give a clear answer to why God desires a church of oneness. Let's turn to John chapter 17. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You all know that. Let's go to John chapter 17. Because we're going to see clearly right here why God desires us to be one. And I'm going to start at verse 20 and read through verse 25. And it says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Whew, okay and and the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, and that they that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and you and me, that they may be, be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou loved me, father, I will that I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. There it was, clear as day. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to go to actually verse 23. Here it says, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them. That's why he required us to be one. So that the world will know that the Father sent Jesus, and that he loves them, just as he loved Christ. (laughs) Family, if you don't get anything else this morning, this is what I want you to understand. Write this down. The lost souls of this world will never be able to really see and comprehend the glory of God or of who who God is until we are all one. I'm going to say that again. The lost souls of this world will never be able to really see and comprehend the glory of who God is until we are all one. So this next question comes straight from that. What is it about our oneness as believers it makes one see Jesus clearly. See, we have friends and family members, people that we know that are going through all types of hurts, all types of pains, all types of struggles, all types of abuse, all types of addiction. People seeking instant gratification, no matter the cost. And we're praying for them. Praying for them tough. And we're not seeing no changes in their lives. And God is saying, you know what the answer to your prayer is? It's you walking in oneness. Because the, if the world sees us walking in oneness, they're going to say, but well, that's something different. And then they're going to say, where is that from? And then that's when you can tell them, oh, the Father in Jesus. And that same Father is loved love Christ. That Christ is in me, and he loves you too. See, that has nothing to do with me. But it's all about oneness. All these prayers that you're praying, there's the answer. If you've been praying for somebody, I'm giving you the answer right now. It's oneness. There it is. If you've been praying and and you come in this morning, there's your answer. It's in your oneness. Oh, God God has heard your prayers. And he said, listen. Listen because you always want to hear about somebody else, right? Let me tell you about you. Get into oneness. Get into oneness and watch the lives around you that you've been praying for. Watch them start changing because they need to see a witness. They don't need to hear a witness. They need to see a witness. There's a difference. And when these people that you've been interceding for when they see the light of Christ, all their darkness will be consumed. They'll have no... Or I'll put it to you like this: They either accept it or, deny, or they'll either accept it or they'll fight against it. But you can't deny it. It's the truth of God. Truth of God can't be denied. It's been proven. So this is why God has a burning desire for us to be one, because you have something for somebody else in the body and outside the body so that they can be brought into the body and, the, and then what he gives to them he, they can deliver it for somebody else so always remember when God moves because we've, we've learned about this when God moves you're left with a choice and if we're not on one there'll be a million different choices <laughs> a million different answers instead of the correct one which is Christ there's only one there's only one way. It's Christ. So, what does our oneness afford us? Number one, there is integrity and reliability in our oneness. See, when, when we're truly one, we become an integral, reliable witness to the world. Remember, remember, I said you have to be a witness. It's not about hearing the witness, it's about seeing it, right? Remember, I said you have to be a witness. See, no one can be a trustworthy or reliable witness by themselves. See, we have to be in oneness. When you try to be a witness by yourself, then that's when people can say, yeah, I hear that, and I see that from you, and that's the way it worked for you. But I don't see that for nobody else. It's not working that way for him. It's not working that way. It's working that way for you. Cool. Great. Great. But well, we need to have a reliable witness. Remember I told you we're going to get back to that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses? Is so We're going to get back to it. We're going to get back to it. As a matter of fact, let's get back to it right now. But write this down. Understand that our integrity is tied into our oneness. Understand that. Now I'm going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me get there real quick. And I'm just going to focus on verse 1 here. It says, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Actually, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 probably. The mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now, let me stop there. I want you all to understand this statement, the mouth of two or three witnesses. This is a legal term. I want you to understand it. It's a, it's a legal term. It's used throughout the whole Bible. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 19, Numbers chapter 35, Matthew chapter 18, 1 Timothy chapter 5. You can find this. It's a legal term, and it does apply to court procedures. But in this context, it's referring to the obedience of Christ in the, in the church, the obedience of the church in Christ. And when the church is out of line, as they were when we were talking about the church of Corinth, how Paul had to come to them three times, So, when the church is out of line like they were in Corinth, every effort is made to correct that by establishing it in the truth. Has to be established in the truth. What you have to understand about Paul here, because like I said, he came to him three times about this, he subjected his ministry to scrutiny, to examination. And the reason he did that, because he wasn't the only one in his ministry, the reason he did that was because out of the mouth of two or three shall the word be established. So don't just take my word from it. Check the results from him in the ministry with me. Check the results from that person over here. See, something or someone is reliable when it can be believed based on examination. Based on scrutiny. I mean, real scrutiny. Because remember, like I said, this was his third time. And through that whole time, he's been open to examination. So, here's what happens. Let's say you go to witness to somebody, right? And you're the only believer there. And they know you. And you're still witnessing to them, right? And then that person has a hard time accepting or believing what you're saying to them. That's because they've never had a chance to examine that thoroughly. They may have examined something in your life and it may not be lining up with the word. And they're like, you said that. Or you may be lined up. But if they haven't been able to examine that for multiple lives of believers, they're like... I hear what you're saying, but I can confirm it. That's why our part is self-examination, to make sure we're lining under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So when we're examined by the others, we can minister to them so that they can see Christ and know that the Father sent him and that he loved them just as he loves us, just as he loved Christ. So being a trustworthy source requires examination. So when one witness, when one can witness an entire body with the same results of Christ, like I said earlier, their defense, it just becomes an excuse. And they may defend it, a lot will accept it, but it just becomes an excuse at that point. You can't deny it. Let me give you an example. I have a coworker, and glory to God, I've been, I've been, ministering to this person for about three almost four years and she finally came last Sunday her first time uh, but I have a co-worker and she has a family member who goes to church now, let me tell you about this coworker. she doesn't go to church, she grew up in the church had family members that were ministers but she's like I'm not about that organized religion it's too much stipulation, too many people trying to tell me what to do because she's grown those are her very those are her words i'm telling you right now those are her words but so she has a family member who's in the church beautiful voice i mean she's she showed me her videos she sings in the church and she's dating uh, another a drummer of a different church right she gets pregnant outside of wedlock by this drummer and so at this church where she sings she got sat down right the drummer he didn't get sat down at all. As a matter of fact, the thought was, well, you know what? He could still minister to people. Now, here's my question. How can you minister to somebody when your heart's not right? And they're saying, oh, but he plays drums so well, it's going to draw them in. Wait a minute. I thought if Christ was lifted up. And in her, her words, uh, my, my friend from work, she said, well, I believe the church that let him keep playing had good intentions. This is just a little side note about your good intentions. Good intentions are the father of all confusion and division. It's not about your good intentions. It's about what's right in the eyes of God. That's just a little side note for you. But, so she's seeing churches, right? This is the one who's already, I'm through with this organized religion. She's, we're trying to, I'm trying to minister to her. And she's talking about, well, tell me why this church does this thing. This church does this thing. I believe this thing. You're telling me this thing. I'm confused. Listen, through confusion you can't see Christ. She's confused. But remember, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses is the word established. She can't find two or three because of what's creeped into the church. The orderly arrangement of worship is not God's. Willing to bring and offer anything, killing the church. She's done with church. Killing the church. Those words came out of her mouth. Oh, but... God can do the impossible. Like I said, after three, four years, that she came last Sunday. And she said she's coming again. And now I'm a pester Because you told me you are. Right? Open the door for me. I'm pestering you now. Because God's giving me something for her. But... Nevertheless... Integrity is lost. Multiple answers. Not reliable. Aren't y'all all all believers? Don't y'all all all read the same Bible? Now I have to explain to her their understanding. Now I have to go through all, and I'm just like, it shouldn't be that hard. All I need to do is lift up Christ. No unity. And I'm not just talking, I'm talking about the body of believers, right? It doesn't matter what church you go to because it's not about, it's not about the gangs. It's not about the fraternities. It don't matter. We're all the body, So we should all be teaching the same word. But we let the, we let the outside, the outside sources come in and muddy down the word when it's no longer the word of God. It's no longer life changing. It's no longer effective. All it does is provoke somebody to wrath. Because it's not the Word of God. You can dress it up with the Scripture if you want, but it's not the Word of God. So all it does is turn them from it at that point. I don't want to be in that organized religion. Well, listen, sweetheart, neither do I. And I'm not. But it becomes more and more difficult to minister to people when they see the dysfunctionality, the disjointment in the body, right? We're talking about we're supposed to be one. We want the world to know that the Father sent, sent Christ. Not sent your ideas. You ain't got nothing to do with it. My life, remember that first question, am, is my, am I dead and hid in Christ and, uh, to God? That's one of the questions you have to ask. Am I submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Really? Or am I, letting, am I allowing my fleshy desires and my wants or whatever, am I allowing that to creep in? Am I allowing that to to muddy down my ministry? Because we've all been called to the ministry of reconciliation. However, when the body of Christ comes together in oneness, and when the world approaches and they can examine, oh, I'm seeing the same results from, from her to him to her, I can't deny it. That's when the hearts become receptive. That's when they break down and say, you know what? That's the truth. I don't care what I heard from my mama. I don't care what I heard on the news. I don't care what all these uh, 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 facts, statistics say. I don't care. I know that's the truth. It's been proven. When that happens, it's no longer your attitude, but the attitude of Christ. It's no longer your marriage, but God's covenant the marriage. It's no longer your dating relationship, but one that's been brought together through kononia, yeah. fellowshipping around Christ. Let me tell you all about that. Me and my wife have been married 10 years. And this is how I met her. Her mother and Sister John's worked together for years. Years. Longer than i even knew. Just like I knew this girl who'd been here... I worked with her for years before she even came. I don't know how many years it was that Sister Johns was ministering to her before she came. But God knew, oh, I got something for you in that family that's been brought in. I got something for you. Just walk in oneness. I got something for you. And we've been married for ten years. But just think, if Sister Johns wasn't walking in oneness, she was worried about herself and didn't minister to Sister Burden. I would have never came across my wife. And God was like, look at the body work. I got it for you in the body. You don't got, listen, you don't have to search outside the body for anything. Anything. I'm talking finances. I'm talking about your love life. You don't have to search outside the body for anything. God says, I have it for you. Just Submit. I said submission is key, right? Submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Then when it's His will been done by all the believers in the unity of the faith, then all of a sudden the examination, it proves or shows that everybody who comes to a relationship with God bears the same fruit. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. We've now become an integral, reliable witness. Understand this. As visitors come in and listen to the word going forth, they might be saying, well, again, that's what he believes up there teaching. But if they come and visit the body and they say, I heard what he's teaching, but I witnessed that in every member. I witnessed what he said in the members of that body. I see that it's not about my standard or what the world offers; it's about God's standard. Because they're all living in the God's standard, and I see it working out. I see God working everything out for me. I don't despise the process of sanctification because He's working something out. Number two, our on one shows—I I like how Minister Martin got there this morning talking about acceptance. Our one that shows acceptance through Christ. Number two, our one that shows acceptance through Christ. Take a time. Take take a second. Look around the room. You see different races, different ages, people with different occupations, people with children, people who don't have children. Like I said earlier, I said I said acceptance through Christ. See, remember the world they offer qualifications you have to be qualified you need to be this you need to be that but through the blood of the lamb you've been pre-qualified there's your acceptance let's take our church picnic people that are we've come together we've been planning that picnic for a while now am I right planning it for a while all different types of people coming together. People that may have been like, well, my job, I'm the, I'm the project coordinator. They submit it. That's not my job here. Submit it and let somebody else run. And then, and then when people see it, they see it in action, they're like, my goodness. Mr. Ben, he's the one who set up our sound and did that. their band was there. The first, one of the things he said to me, he said, wow, this church community really knows how to serve. He said that to me yesterday. He said that to me when we first got to the park. I'm not talking about at the end of it. No, no, no. He saw us putting it together. He said that to me early. Because he saw it. And ministered to him. Oneness. All communicating and working together to serve under the banner of Christ. So that the world may know that the Father sent Christ and that he loves them just as he loves Christ that's why he wants us to be one nobody overlooked it doesn't matter your past listen God will disqualify your disqualifications it doesn't matter your past it doesn't matter sweetheart it doesn't matter being pregnant outside of wedlock. It doesn't. God disqualifies that too. It doesn't matter any. He's the healer. He's the restorer. That's the truth. And when people see that, oh, oh, I do know that this person used to be in this and and be in that, but look at him now. They say. Listen, I don't know what it is about them, but something changed. And I'm going to tell you what it is. The the world is now knowing that the Father sent Christ because they see Christ in you. And they're like, that's not nothing they learned from this world. That's been taught to them by the Spirit of the living God. Trust in Christ. He'll do the drawing. Number three, our oneness, it gives us strength and boldness. Turn to Acts chapter 4 and rest there. Let me get there too. So I said it gives us strength and boldness. And I'm going to give you a definition of strength. Strength. And this is actually a definition uh, that uh, my mother gave a few months ago and I added just a little smidgen to it. And it says, strength is the God-given power to affect change. And it's the little snippet that I added, and withstand opposition. The God-given power to affect change and withstand opposition. See, it takes the people in oneness to have strength. And when we come into oneness, Impossible moves become become possible because of God's orderly arrangement of worship, because of that oneness. All the impossible, it becomes possible. Understand this. I'm not saying there's strength in numbers. I'm saying there's strength in oneness. Listen, there's a difference. Listen, a show of force is different than a show of strength. a show of force it compels by any means necessary a show of strength it shows the world that that God loves them it compels by love after all he called us into oneness so so that the world may know that the Father sent him and that he loves them a show of strength compels by love not by force but as a result we have a lot of Forced behavior in the body and not a lot of oneness in the hearts this is why you can see huge crowds of people at mega churches on Sunday and then come Monday they write back to terrorizing their own homes terrorizing their own communities letting their children run rampant living defeated lives the issue is we aren't endeavoring to keep the unity because when you do that you're strengthened like I said earlier the believers as the whole have gotten so consumed with me myself and I thinking we can handle everything on, on our own with our own strength but Matthew 16 verse 18 says upon this rock I will build my church It didn't say, upon this rock I'm going to build you, and the gates of hell won't prevail against you. It says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a body of believers. We have believers that chase after what they desire. Usually it's money, houses, cars, a partner, a mate's. Husband wife. Trying to get fulfillment apart from one another. I said it earlier, everything we need. Listen, everything we need is in the presence of the living God. Now, raise your hand if you believe that the presence of, the presence of God is with the body. Yeah, then everything we need is with the body. Yeah. It's just that simple. Everything we need, you have to believe that though. You have to believe that. In order to walk in it, well, the, the the thing is, we're busy looking for, I like to call them cheap thrills. When all we need to do is just walk in oneness, replace the lesser them cheap thrills with the greater, the body, submission to Christ, to the lordship of Christ, and then submitting to enough, that's greater than those cheap thrills. Just because you have these cheap thrills doesn't mean you have strength. Just because you have money, prestige, just because you have those things, that's not strength. Because guess what? You can lose all that. That can be lost. Those things aren't eternal. Think of it. Think of it this way, right? You have a lot of people who are like, "Oh, I want to train up my child to go and play football or something like that," right? Listen to me. Let me let me preface this by saying this: ain't nothing wrong with playing football. If you like football? Hey, I love it. Go ahead. But you have people willing to empty their bank accounts, sending their children to camps, bend over backwards. And let me tell you something: if they do make it pro, which is your ultimate goal, right? If they do make it pro, guess what? They can't do it forever. It's not eternal. It's fleeting. There's no strength in that. The strength is in what's eternal. That's true strength. So you can listen. I'm not saying that you don't. If you want to put some money into that, that's fine. But Remember what we said earlier. What's your priority though? Do a little self-examination. Am I giving all myself to this thing and none to God? Am I giving the majority to this thing and a little bit to God? Look, God don't want a little bit. That's just as good as nothing. He wants to be priority. He wants to be number one. Numero uno. See, let me, let me, let me, let me clear it up for you. Our bond that we have now, that's eternal. Oh, that's eternal. Our founding pastor is gone, but what he didn't taught has reached all the way. His strength God's strength reached all the way through your seed. It's eternal. That's strength. That's true strength. Something that lasts. Something that affects change in the lives of someone. That's true strength. Let me tell you, you can like all these football, since I'm on that, I'm using this as an example still. You can like all these football players, but have they affected change in your life? It's not eternal. Actually, they probably cost you money because you're paying for that cable to see the game. No change in your life, not eternal. And while we're talking about that money, you'll never see it again because guess what? Money is not eternal either. Write this down. True strength is sacrifice. Hmm. Hmm. Letting go of oneself and putting on Christ for the sake of everybody else. True strength, sacrifice. Letting go of oneself so that everybody else can see Christ. Remember, I said one of the questions am I dead to myself? That's true strength. Sacrificing yourself so that that others might have life. And then when the world witnesses that strength, it draws their attention, good or bad. Good or bad intention, it'll draw their attention. And and this goes back to what I was saying earlier. When I say it draws their attention, they're going to see it and say, well, And this is when they see it in oneness. They're going to say, well, I'm seeing this result across the board. So either I can fight against it or I can believe it. But I can't deny it. It's proven out of the mouth of two or three the word has been established. It's really baffling to think If we get every single individual here in our community living a holy and righteous life, there would be a decline in a lot of things that would cause the world to take attention. For example, you can go... I grew up in Pflugerville, right? And there weren't liquor stores all on the corner, but if you go there now, there's liquor stores on every other corner. If we walk into oneness, them liquor stores would have to close up. And then... The world has to take notice whether they want to or not because guess what? Now we're in their pockets. Yeah. Now we're in they, they're, going, they're going to take notice of that. They're definitely going to take notice of that. Think, 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 about, think of what happened when, when Christ when, when is on the earth and the Pharisees come out. Wait a minute. He is speaking truth. So we have to take up... We have to sit up and take notice. But what if they do? Like I said, it could be good or bad. What if they do? They put him to death. And in the midst of that death, the world was saved. It don't matter, see? See, God, Christ is the example. He was dead to himself too. He's the example. Dead to myself so that others could have life. True strength. Sacrifice. See, what can not be denied is when people see your children commanded and walking in the ways of the Lord. You can't deny that. What can't be denied, like I said earlier, is that there was a broken marriage, but now it's together under Christ. You can't deny those results. You can deny them for one couple, but you can't deny them for an entire body. If we're walking in oneness. And moving on, I said our oneness caused us to be bold. Now, this just means... It, it causes us to be uncompromising. This isn't a flamboyant or arrogant or mean type of spirit. It simply means I'm not willing to budge from the truth of God's word. I'm steadfast. I'm unmovable. Always abounding in love, right? So that the world may know that the Father sent him and that he loved him. This is when you can say, I'm a firm believer in the word. Because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Not only that, my family has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Not only that, my church family has tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. I, listen, not only, I see their lives changing. I've known them from day one when they stepped in, but look at them now. I can stand boldly because truly, my life has been changed forever. And the proof speaks for itself. Remember I said a witness? Let them see that. It speaks much louder than any vain word you could say. Let them see that. I said go to Acts chapter 4, didn't I? Let me start at verse... Verse 1. And it says... And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. So I want you to understand what's going on right now. as Peter and John are preaching to the people in the name of Jesus. Understand that. That's where we are right now. Oh, They're preaching the name of Jesus and lives are being changed. And, and, and things have been changed around them and they have to sit up and pay attention now. First one and two. Let me see, where am I again? Okay. Being grieved that they taught the people. Being grieved. Isn't that messed up? You've been grieved that they taught them being preached through Jesus. Remember strength. You can stand through opposition. These are so-called believers themselves. I want you to know that. I say so-called believers because if you're not preaching Jesus and you're not accepting that, they're not a believer. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now even time. So what did they do? There's that opposition. They tell me, are you preaching the name of Jesus? Lock them up. Laid hands on them. Lock them up. They, they weren't upset that they were lying or something. No, they were upset that they were preaching in the name of Jesus. Let's jump down to verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he, he is made whole. See, he's telling them right there, examine that, right? Because they know the works of God examine that that's what he's telling them examine it take a look you so called believers examine it and then it says verse 10 be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom he crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him doth this man stand here before you hold see there it is now you, now they're faced with the truth Oh, he's made whole though, right? Since you're saying I'm doing something so wrong. He's made whole, right? Let's see. This, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Whew, that's Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, see, see, because they're in unity. There's that boldness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, th- listen, when they said unlearned and ignorant men, Peter was a fisherman. He didn't have prestige. He didn't have a big college education, but he was qualified because of what Jesus has done. Qualified. Qualifications. <laughs> Okay, let me see. What verse was I on there? Thirteen. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled, and they took they took knowledge of them, and they had been that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Couldn't find no fault with the truth. They were still upset, but couldn't find no fault with the truth. <laughs> oh, and it goes on to say that they told them let them go because it's the truth but tell them that they can't teach in the name of Jesus no more. That's That was their that was their the end all be all but let me tell you that didn't happen. (laughs) I'm going to tell you that right now. That didn't happen but my point here is it doesn't matter who opposes you. They got thrown in jail and were still bold about Christ and it was all due to their unity. It was all due to their oneness. You know what I'm going to go ahead let me I'm not going to get to this, so let me, let me skip down to verse 29. And it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, because they threaten them pretty much. Don't teach about Jesus anymore. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, that they, with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that the signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where there, where they were assembling, assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the mul- I'm sorry, yes, with boldness. And the multitude, multitude of them. That believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that, that all of the things which he had possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, do you see what the unity brought to them? They said, Listen, this is not mine, this is ours. We're one body, we're one mind. Let me keep going here. I'm trying to, trying to finish here. And with, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. See what unity does? There's there's a sufficiency in unity, right? Nobody goes lacking. Everything we need is in the body. Everything. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of these things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according to as he had need. That's what oneness affords you. Let me tell you, for me, if I see one of my family members, I'm talking about you, and believes the Christ, in a need for something, and I got it, it's not mine, because if I got it, the, the Lord gave it to me anyway. So if I got it, you got it. That's why the Lord did it. That's why He gave it to me anyway for somebody else. When we're all one, we meet the needs of one another. When we're all one, we challenge one another. We push one another we make sure that we keep pressing. When we, when we're one, we don't just let somebody get by with the bare minimum. Because God, Christ requires, God requires perfection, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. So I got to make sure I'm provoking you to spiritual growth. So what that means, that means it's not going to always be lovey-dovey when I talk to you. There's going to be some Corrections. It's not going to always be lovey-dovey when you talk to me. There's going to be correction. But that's love. That's uncompromising love. Let me tell you about uncompromising love. You teenagers. Uncompromising love is not even just teenagers, young adults too, and everybody really. But for some reason God said call them out right now hiding stuff from your parents or from each other or, or having secrets with each other about your sexual practices Yes. Yeah. Yeah. oh I do this with that person I do that with this person that's not pushing anybody listen that's not oneness It's not oneness when, when you call yourself liking a certain individual, and then when you get along with that individual, you're doing certain things that are only meant for the marriage covenant. That's not oneness. I don't know why God's taking me there, but that's not oneness. You're, you're supposed to be pushing your, your, your brother your sister to Christ, right? Instead of pushing them to the grave. Lives are at stake whether you want to believe it or not. That's what real oneness is. Real oneness is, hey, hey, get it together. Real oneness is, it's not, you know what, I see something from one of my friends and I'm going to go tell somebody else about it. No. That's not real oneness. Is that your brother or your sister? Think of it this way. Maybe this will help you. Think of it, when you see certain things like that, think of it as they're headed down the road to destruction. Now get them out! Be accountable to one another. That's oneness. Don't sit on that. Don't let things slide by. Because you let these things keep going and slide by and then you look down later in life and they're so far from God you didn't even know they were ever a believer. And now you're hurting and in pain for them. And the answer just came to you. Walk in oneness. And don't listen. That that means you can't go to them and you live in the same type of way. Because that ain't oneness either. That's when they can say, yeah, that's your result. Well, it ain't even your result. I hear you. I don't see that. That's when you get it. okay, I understand. And then they'll walk on and keep doing what they're doing. But we're talking about being one. Walking in oneness. Stand to your feet.